Welcome to another exciting, exhilarating, informative episode of Speaking Life with Dr. Sabrina. I am your host, Dr. Sabrina, the people expert. You know, I help people with people, even if that person is themselves, because I say all the time that you think it's somebody else and it's really you standing in the need of some help. And so I do that in a myriad of ways. I am a clinical therapist by trade. I am a life coach, a business coach. I am a author. I am a TV radio personality. I'm a podcast host. Yes, yes, yes. I am a single mama mm-hmm. with a grown, with grown children. I groaned it. They grounded it. I love how I make up my own words. But this month, October, is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And so I really wanted to shine a light on this particular topic. And so I have two guests that will be with me today. And my first guest, um, I've been knowing Miss Tish, oh my goodness, Miss Ghana, for a long, long time. And so we're going to bring her in. She's actually in Florida, but we're going to have her on with us virtually. Don't you love technology? And so I'm going to allow her to tell her story. I don't even want to try to do it any justice, but she is a survivor of domestic violence. And so welcome to the show, Tish. Hi, hi, Sabrina. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you over there in Florida, which I'm jealous right now? I, listen, uh, believe it or not, I do miss Michigan because I miss those four seasons, but I'm well. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very well compared to how I was a few years ago. So well, I want you to just jump right in and begin to tell us your story. So, you know, I always started off with, um, I didn't know I was in an abusive relationship until the day he tried to kill me. Um, we had been together for five years and he decided he was going to break up with me. And I was like, okay, cool. Cause I'm, I'm tired of this too. And that day he stabbed me over 23 times. Cause that's when he stopped counting and he cut my throat twice. And he told me his intentions were to send me to work and he was going to the penitentiary. And I worked at the medical examiner's office in Detroit doing autopsies. So his goal was to end my life two days after my 34th birthday. And so how old are you currently? I'm 44 now. Wow. Wow. Okay, so I want to slow us down a little because the first thing you said is that you did not know that you were in a domestic violence situation. So had he hit you before? So we've had fights, we fought, we argued, but it was never, to me, that was kind of normal. You don't fight with your mate, you don't argue. But it was never, I don't want to see you alive. You know what I'm saying? So it's and interesting. I want you to stop right there because I really want people to hear what you are saying. Because you're saying that you fought, physically fought with your mate, and you felt right. like that was normal. That That's what you right. do with your mate. You, you, you get into an argument. You might get physical. Um, what My would you tell God. a person now, uh, after going through what you've been through, is it normal to physically fight with your mate? Listen, I, I don't even play the joking game where you don't put your hands on me at this point. No, that's not normal. What you grow up and see, what you live with, with family, it's, you know, I had an uncle at one point tell me, well, a man's going to be a man. Yeah, but that don't mean he's supposed to go upside my head. You know exactly. what I'm saying? So, exactly. So for me, the 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 first time you raise your hand to me, that's the last time. Yes. Because you, there are no second chances. There's no apologies. There's no gifts. There is nothing a person can do to make me feel like what I went through is okay. And what I survived is, is, is normal. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing 
that looking back, I see all of the signs because I've been in therapy and I've been, you know, still, I still deal with it. Absolutely. I, I see the signs now and I'm like, okay, now I know what to look for. Now I, now I pay attention to not just your words, but your actions. And so doing that makes it easier for me to, to walk away. Okay. Okay. So I want people listening to understand what some of those signs are because somebody is listening right now that is sitting in the seat that they are experiencing the signs and they may be thinking what you were thinking is that's normal. And so I do want to let people know if you want to call in, if you have questions, if you um, if this topic is something that you really feel passionate about or you just want to know if you're dealing with a sign or a sick symptom please feel free to call us the number here is 313-266-2811 again that number is 313-266-2811 okay so tish tell me what's some of the signs that you look back and you see now so the first sign like we would have a little disagreement and he was always a gentleman always always a gentleman opening the door pulling out the chairs calling to make sure I made it to work safe. Oh, did you eat lunch? All of these things. And the first time we had a disagreement, that joker was like, I ain't opening your door. I ain't pulling uh-uh. out your chair. I was like, why? Oh, I only do that to people that listen. And I'm like, listen. Like, listen like, he, like he your dad. Right. I was like, I listen to you, but I don't agree with you. Like, this how you gonna act. So that first time, we stopped talking for a minute and then he came back around like well, you got to understand i've been hurt i said listen i hear you but it was just opening my door you can't open my car door you can't hold the door open for me to go into the restaurant first so that was a sign and then what i thought was cute and caring it really wasn't he would oh did you go to lunch yet what time you going to lunch it, it the cause of if I wake up and I'm getting ready for work, you want to talk to me the whole time. You want to talk to me on my drive-in. I used to meditate and pray before I walked into the medical examiner's office. Now I got to sit here and listen to you talk about nothing. You literally breathe it. And then it'll be like, oh, I know you at lunch. No, I'm not. My case ran over. Oh, okay. Well, call me when you're done. And so what I thought was cute and attentive was really he was starting to gain and put control into the relationship. And That's when I look back now, I'm like, I shouldn't have answered some of them phone calls. I probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't have dealt with what I dealt with. But I, Well, you know, I just want to say I want women and men because I want people to know that uh, domestic violence is just that domestic violence with whoever your significant other is. So there are people who are in same sex relationships who are having the same issues as well. So that whole, it, I, I love how you put it, cute and attentive. You thought it was cute I and did. attentive that he was it. oh he calling me every morning he's calling me at the end of my lunch break he's he wants to talk he's and and we get sucked into that when we really like somebody we think that that is endearing we think that he's um being concerned but sometimes it's overboard and so you you don't want anybody that you can't go to lunch with your friends or or have a moment to yourself without making them irritated that you didn't you didn't answer your phone when I called. Uh really? Right. You I ain't talked to you all day. Uh, okay. I'm busy. I do have a business to run. I do do things. And so when people I always say this, Tisha, you you tell me what you think. When you are busy and like you were working for the medical examiner, you were doing autopsies, you were busy. When you're busy and you're dealing with somebody who's never busy, that's to me a, a red sign. That, that, that's a red flag. Because if you don't have nothing to do in your life and now you so busy, concerned about my life, ooh, I don't know. What you think, Tish? Oh, that was a real that that was a red flag because at one point he was in school. So that made it okay. You know what I'm saying? And then, oh, I'm not going this semester. 
and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to work. And I, and then it was like, oh, I'm doing this. Okay. And I literally would say, you have to find something to do because I'm working five, seven days a week sometimes. And you sitting here agitate my whole left side with all of your calls and everything, you know? See, now I think you and I, Sabrina, you remember at one point I couldn't even, I couldn't let it, let it go. Now I can joke about it and, and I can, I can see, see it clearly now. And so I put on this on me to a degree because even when I saw those signs, I would be like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna give them another chance. I'm gonna give them no, you don't get chance, no more chances. This is not baseball. This is life. So mm. you can't get, you can't get no more chances with me. It so, ain't no three strikes. It's, it's no chances. Yeah, it's, it's, I love that that you said it's no three strikes and you out because you might not get to the third strike. And so Correct. let's talk about the day that he, because uh, I know you were in a van, right? Mm-hmm. You were in a van right. and he started stabbing you in the van. Right. Correct. So correct. We were sitting outside my house on the west side and we were talking and I was like, for some reason, this argument was different. And it wasn't one where I was going to let him come in the house. Some just kept saying, don't let him come in the house. So when we're sitting in the van, we're talking and he had this pocket knife and he pulled it out and we're just talking and I used to call him Papa and we're just talking and he grabbed my hand and he cut my fingers. Like he cut four, three or four fingers on my hand and I started crying like, why would you do this? You cut me, I gotta go to the hospital because my fingers were literally looking like they were gonna fall off. Wow. And he was like, oh, you being dramatic. And I'm like, no, look at my hand, take me to the Henry Ford, I gotta go to the hospital. And then myself, I'm saying, and I gotta go to work in the morning. I can't go to work with my with fingers. My, hand, my, finger, my fingers uh, right. falling off. It's my money. So he um, was like, let me see. And so I'm like showing him my hand and that joker started stabbing me. We are fighting in this van and I start blowing a horn. I'm trying to get anybody to come outside and my one neighbor cut on her light and I'm screaming, but I can't, my fear was if I stop fighting him, he's gonna really do some damage. So mm-hmm. when he saw her cut on his light, he pulled off. And so now I'm trying to get out the car. I'm calling my mother, like, help me, help me. He's trying to kill me. Mm-hmm. I'm calling my brother. And then at one point we stopped. We just stopped at a light on Joy Road. And he starts punching me and we start fighting and I'm trying to get out the car and the police pull up. And so I'm like, okay, good, there go the police. And he saw that and he took off and he rolled around the corner and he, um, we rolled like three blocks from, from where I stayed and he started stabbing me again. Now we're in this van and we're fighting because I can't get out. My hands, I have a bunch of defensive wounds. My fingers are all cut up. I'm I'm stabbed in different places. And he was really trying to kill me because most of my wounds were in my face, neck, and in my head. So I had braids and I all I see is blood coming across covering my face and I'm mm. just seeing blood. And he's stabbing me and this lady walked up to the van and she started banging on it. And she was like, what are you doing in there? Stop, what are you doing? And I was like, help me open the door, but the door was locked. So when he heard her, he got in the driver's seat and pulled off a few feet. And he, and I was like, okay, listen, just let me out. I will tell the police I was attacked. I won't say it was you, just let me out. Can I please get out? And so he unlocked the door and was like, you can go. So I couldn't open the door because of my hand. So I finally got the door open and I started running and it's a field and I see my house. So I'm like, I'm gonna run home. Mm. And I'm running, I'm screaming, help, help, he's trying to kill me. And he football tackled me, mm. jumped on me and he starts stabbing me some more. So now I'm laying there and I'm screaming for help. And this lady is like, you gonna kill her. And this guy walked up and he said, man, what are you doing to that bee? 
And he was like, you don't know what she did to me. And I'm like, just push him off for me. Help me. And the guy walked away like he just walked away. And another guy came and I'm like, y'all just push him off and I can go. Like, I'm not realizing how bad I'm stabbed. And he's still stabbing me. So this guy goes and gets a shovel and he gets off me and he runs back to the van. And, um, no, the guy, the guy left. And I was like, why are all these men leaving me? And so he gets back in the van and he pull off. And so the lady standing there, she like, what happened? I said, he just broke up with me. And I'm like, I need a phone. I need to call my mama. And she like, no, I'm calling the police. I'm like, okay, where my phone at? And so these people start coming back to see, you know, if I'm okay, what's going on. They call a 911. And the girl, the one that said, don't look, he coming back. And I said, no, he not. And I started crying because he got out that van and was like, be you not dead yet? And I was like, I'm dying. I promise you I'm going to die. And he proceeded to jump back on me, stab me. He cut my throat. And then I was, I grabbed the stick and I started trying to hit him with it. And I flipped over because he kept pulling my hair to get to my neck. He kept trying to get, my neck was what he wanted. And so the very last time he mm. cut my neck and the lady was like, you killed her, you killed her. And I was still like moving. And then he cut a smile in my face and I took in all of this breath and I pulled it in and then I blew it out. And then he stabbed me again and was like, yeah, be you dead. And I just laid there. I didn't move. I didn't cry. I didn't flinch because he had to think I was dead. And then the gentleman from across the street, uh, the other guy, that the second guy, he walked out and he had a shovel and he started swinging it at him and he hit the van and everything. And I jump up and I'm like, yes, get him, kill him, please. And then I fall back. And the lady was like, oh, Lord, she did. But I wasn't dead. I was just out of energy. And so after all of that, the guy and his girlfriend and the other lady, I said, can I please come in your house? Cause he gonna come back and he gonna kill me this time. And he, they let me in their house. They put me in a chair. And I remember the police coming and I'm telling them my address, my name. I'm asking the people to call my mother. And I'm telling him, them who he is and where all these different places he could have possibly gone. And this one police officer stopped and he stood in these people living room and said, my God, how was she talking? because my face was all cut open, my neck was cut open, mm. my fingers are hanging, and all you see is blood. And I'm sitting there trying to wash my face off. And I'm like, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I was far from okay. But here I am today, and I am okay now. Yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you are. So how long did you stay in the hospital? I stayed in the hospital three days and I went back to work after two and a half weeks. Okay. I still had stitches. When you went back to work. And it's interesting because you had, I remember you, you sharing with me that there was a, a case that you had that you, you had to do, you were supposed to do the autopsy on and the girl had been stabbed several times, but she um, did not make it. And so that triggered you, I'm sure. And oh, so yeah. how did you, cause you can, so tell us what you do now. So I'm still doing autopsies, but now I run the Miami-Dade County medical examiner. I'm their morgue bureau operations manager. So I don't do them as much as I used to. So I still deal with the dead. Uh, I never stopped doing that. It's just sometimes with those cases that will trigger me and I'm mm-hmm. like that. And like, I remember calling you after I had that trigger because we're standing in the morgue and nobody knew what to say to me because this lady and I had identical stab wounds and I had more than she had and she died. Mm. And I remember my supervisor saying, uh, she should have called you. I said, yeah, she should have ducked or something. And he said, you okay? I said, no, I'm going home because this is I that was too that. much. Yeah, that it was, was too much. much. Like, it, 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 I knew people were trying to help me and nobody knew how to help me because it got to the point where I would come to work and I would leave and they were like, oh, 
she didn't stay all day today or oh and i'm like i just got stabbed i i am not mentally capable of dealing with anything and at that point i was staying at my mother's because i didn't want to go back to my apartment so it was like i'm homeless i had all of these things i was in the process of buying my first house and so all of these things and it all happened and then everything that i had and the life i was planning had totally changed because it was to the point to where i didn't know if i would ever be able to really work again we didn't know the extent of the damage to my ear because i had that plastic surgery wow we didn't know what my hands were going to do if my hands were going to work again right so it, it was like people only knew me from working and doing what i normally do that they couldn't understand that i'm not right anymore it was yeah you were different you were definitely yeah, different like, well, what's the matter with you and i'm like what you mean i hate my birthday now what you mean what's the matter with me i don't you know things that i used to do i wouldn't do and and then people i talk to I, i'm talking to them differently or i'm looking at everybody sideways because people looking at me like oh you was going through that and i'm like yeah i was going through it but why you didn't say nothing what what am i going to say Exactly. Exactly. Let me ask you this. Uh, What happened to him? So he now has 28 to 50 years in the Michigan Department of Correction. He will probably never get out. He will die there. I've already told my son and my niece, if I were to ever pass away, whenever he goes to parole, I have letters already written. Read these letters. I want him to do every day every second uh, every second every minute every moment i want him to do all 50 years let me ask this question were you able to I, I already know the answer to the question but were you able to go to court when he yes. was i yes, went to just... court i did a victim impact statement i testified he testified um yeah and what I'm he a... had a nerve to say so he said everything that I said, except that I attacked him. Oh. And then he came back with the, oh, it, 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 he literally said my whole testimony, but he tried to slice it as if and I attacked him because apparently he had a few injuries, but his injuries were from me fighting him back and he cut himself and things like that. So yeah. what would you tell a person? who is currently in a situation and they're and they're they're they may be afraid of what the person may do to them they have already been um assaulted by this person but they feel like you know the person you know how how they do they'll come back and say they're so sorry they're never going to do it again things of that nature what is your words to that person you you can accept that apology as you walk out the door and the best thing I can tell anybody is to have an escape plan is you are escaping from a life you don't want to live you want to go back to being who you are so you have to have an escape plan and you have to have a support system and that's where I messed up at I had people that would have helped me I had people I could have went to but it was my embarrassment and my ego of, oh, you tough, you right. you know. So, no, put all that to the side because you only get one life. There's no do-overs. You have never seen somebody die, and three weeks later, they was like, well, you know, I changed my mind. So, <laughs> right. you can't, there's no do-overs. So, don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed because you will be surprised at how many people have dealt with stuff like this or who will help you out and and make sure that you are safe because you don't know your value yourself sometimes, but other people do. So people say they love you and they value you. Trust me, they will help you get out of whatever situation you are in. You, like I said, you can accept every apology, but accept it as you walk out, as you you block them, as you leave them where they stand because there's no need to be somewhere where you are happy and you fearing for your safety anyway. So it's best to walk away. 
Absolutely. Now, what would you say to people who say, well, you know, I'm out and I don't think I need help. I don't think I need therapy. What do, what would you say about therapy? Listen, therapy is my best friend. <laughs> you can unpack, you can tell every thought, idea, anything you want to tell your therapist. Even if you don't want to go to therapy, Sabrina put me up on journal and I got so many notebooks and notes around. You don't know how much you are holding in until you start to write it. And once you start to write it, you see things differently. You look at yourself differently. You govern yourself a different way. You move in a different manner. So for me, I believe everybody, especially black women, should seek therapy. Black men too, but we really all need to seek therapy because you don't realize how much trauma, hurt, and confusion you're holding on to. Well, I want to thank you so much, Tish, for taking the time out of your busy schedule because you're such a busy, enterprising (laughs) woman over there in Dade County. I am just honored to know you. I'm honored to have helped walk this journey with you. I am honored that you selected me to come and talk to. I am I'm very, very happy with how you're moving, what you're doing. Um, you, You are not. You're not stuck in your past. You can talk about it. I, I see you smile and laugh. And oh my God, it just does my heart good because I remember when you couldn't sleep and, and you was, I can't sleep. I'm just having nightmares. I just remember. And I, and I just kept saying, just keep going. Just keep going. Keep yeah. going. Journaling is an experience, not an activity. I say that all the time. So thank you for the example and the light that you continue to shine for women to know what it looks like when you get through something that you are walking to something. And uh, y'all going to be hearing about her story soon. We're going to get her story done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're going to get it done. It's coming. It's coming. Thank you, Tish. Have a good one. Take care. Oh, my God, that is so good. We're going to take a break, and when we take our break, we're going to come back. And if you thought that story was good, oh, I got another one for you. I got another one for you. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more Speaking Life with Dr. Sabrina. Hi, everybody. You are live right here with Dr. Sabrina. Hey, family, it's Dr. Sabrina here, and you are we are at Box 2 Live. I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to dive a little deeper. I'm going to go places and spaces that we have not necessarily gone. Helping people is really just my gift. And so because I am gifted in that way, I absolutely want to help people alleviate pain. Understand that trauma doesn't have to keep you stuck there. You can forgive what seems like the unforgivable because unforgiveness is a block to your blessings. If you stay in unforgiveness, it's not hurting the other person. It's hurting you. The decision to do anything that had to do with psychology, clinical therapy, all of that actually started at the age of nine. I saw a movie called Sybil. And in this movie, Sally Fields played a person with multiple personalities. But the thing that grabbed me was the therapist. And I said at nine that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to work with people and transform them to get them to a space of healing. Hey family, it's Dr. Sabrina here, the people expert with your people expert tip of today. Oh, the people expert. I do call myself the people expert because I help people with people, even if that person is themselves. Because so often we think it's somebody else with the problem and it's really us standing in the need of some help. Well, the first thing that I say to people, and I say this to any client that comes to me, when you look at your life, do you like it? Nine times out of 10, people will say no. And then my second question, are you willing to do something different to change it? Because what you've been doing up to this point got you to this point and you don't like it. So you have to be open to doing something you've never done or to have something you've never had. All of us need somebody to talk to. No matter what seat you sit in, you need somebody to pour into you. I think my purpose and mission is to use my voice to assist 
other people walk in their voice. Help them understand that you too can do you, whether that's through counseling, whether that's through speaking, whether that's through the books that I write. All of it is around helping people understand things to unlock in them. And my favorite song that speaks to me is a rap song. It's by DJ Cat. It simply says, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Every time I step up in the building, everybody's hands go up, mm, mm, and they stay there. Welcome back. You are tuned in to Speaking Life with Dr. Sabrina. I am your host, Dr. Sabrina, the people expert. And today we're talking about domestic violence. And so we had our first guest, Tish. She's out of uh, Miami-Dade County. She's working as the um, medical examiner there. And um, just amazing story. She survived over being stabbed over. 23 times 23 is when they stopped counting and so it was more than 23 but they stopped counting at 23 and he slit her throat twice and she's still here you know that you know that's it's a song by Dorinda Clark Cole I'm still here yes 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 and so I am so proud of her that she is living her life and he is in prison and gonna be there forever and she says she's already written uh, impact statements to where when it comes up with parole and things of that nature to keep him where he is because that was such a diabolical attack. And so I, I really appreciate her sharing that for a long time, you know, she didn't think she was in a domestic violence situation even though they was fighting and hitting each other. So if you are in a situation and you are hearing me, Fighting physically is not a sign of love. Can I say it again? It's not a sign that, oh, he really care about you. She really care about you because men do get hit as well. There are abusive women who beat up on their men. I'm just saying. So, okay, it's time for my next guest. And my next guest, her name is Anita Posey. Anita Posey has had a journey like no other. And so I just want to let her tell her story. I don't even want to tell it because nobody can tell it like she can tell it. Welcome, Anita. Hi, Sabrina. How are you this morning? Oh, I am doing so well. I'm so glad that you're here in the studio with me today. You're looking amazing. Thank you. Amazing. So, okay, dive right in. Just tell us. Tell us about your story. Well, I like to start it by, you know, telling people that I'm a native Detroiter born and bred all my life, loved the city. But in the 80s, it just got too violent for me. I had mm. a young child, and um, I, was, I was grieving the death of my mother and my brother. They died like a year apart back in 81 and 82. So I was a photographer, and I met a guy when I was shooting a wedding. He was the best man, and we kind of hit it off. Now, I was living with the photographer that I was in business with. We were planning to get married and all of that. And then he got his baby mama pregnant again. Mm-mm. 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 Red flag. Yeah. So. Pretty big. I packed up my things and moved back to my own home. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I started dating this guy. He was from Lansing. Really nice. He was a corrections officer. Had been with the state as long as I was. And called me. Every day, and that's back when you know you had to pay for long distance. All right. So brother's phone bill was like four five hundred dollars a month, calling me from Lansing, <laughs> and I would go up there on the weekends because I was, like I said, I was kind of tired of Detroit at that time. The violence was got to be too much, and I go up there, and it was so nice and peaceful and quiet. I didn't hear sirens all the time. Mm. The water even tasted better. You know? Come on, tree lined streets and all of that. So we talked about it and decided I'd move in with him up to Lansing and transfer my state job. I worked at social services at the time as a caseworker, helping other people. And I could see signs of domestic violence in others. 
but I had never experienced it in my life. So I wouldn't, I didn't know what it was in my life. Now the first year that I moved up there, oh, he treated me like a queen. Treated my son like a prince, bragged about him to all his friends because he was so smart and all of this. Wanted him to rub off on his son and all types of stuff. So he got fired from his job for insubordination. Mm-mm. Collected his unemployment. Told me that he had an attorney to get his job back because the union kind of sold him out. Uh, little did I know at the time, this was the third time he had been fired. Uh-oh. I was out much later. But the union uh, president said that they went to their labor management meeting and they told them, well, we'll give you John, Joe, and Pete if you drop Johnson. So they dropped him and the other folks got the job back. So then after collecting unemployment, then he got food stamps and general assistance at the time. and That fell off. And he decided, I went along with him to sell powdered cocaine to just his friends. Because they would get together on weekends, pitch in five, ten dollars a piece, buy a little something, and they would snort it up at their little parties and whatnot. But they still have some left over. And it, it would sit there for like six weeks, so it wasn't like it was a problem. I didn't really like the fact that he snorted cocaine, but uh, it didn't seem like a problem, so I went along with it. Against my better judgment, I went along with him selling the powder cocaine to his friends for just a couple months till he got on his feet and got a job back. But we all know a couple months turned into a couple years and then more and more. At that time, crack had not reached Lansing. This was 1986 or 1985. It hit Lansing in 1986. And when it did, his friend base grew and so did his recreational usage. And along with that Crown Royal, that was a heavy concoction. He got mean. And the first time he hit me, I called the police. Police came, and I'm hysterical. Of course, he's cool, calm, and collected. So who they listened to? Him. And left me there with him, or left him there with me. Well, I packed up my things, and I got an apartment, and I left. And uh, he found me. I didn't move far, because I didn't know much about Lansing to begin with. And this was after about a year. He found me, and uh, my pride and ego let him come in so he could see what I did on my own. You know, he said, oh, you got a furnished apartment? I'm like, no, I did this. That's what you can do when you got a job and good credit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, good credit. I'd always taken care of myself and my child. So, uh, you know, I did not know how abusers worked. But, oh, they know what to do, and they know what to say. And he said all the right things and wooed me back to him. Over the course of seven years, I left him a total of four times. And they say the average before a woman leaves for good is seven times. So, okay, I made wow. it four. Well, one night, um, I guess I better interject this. <laughs> <laughs> I got tired of his abuse. Okay. Because it wasn't ever a fight. There was no fight. I was 130 pounds, size six. He was 230, wearing a 44 jacket. So that just gives you some idea. Of the difference. Uh huh. And I mean, he he would push me with two fingers and I'd go sailing across the room. Because it's like he didn't know his own strength. He was raised on a farm. So he was just solid. Yeah, solid and strong. And I told him one time, I said, you know, you're going to really hurt me one time. You might even kill me. He said, no, I know what I'm doing. Mm-mm. I know where to hit you and how hard to hit you. I said, well, you got that much self-control. You can stop hitting me altogether. He said, no, but you just don't know how to shut your mouth. And I, I, I do have a sharp tongue, but not so sharp that you got to hit me. I don't care how sharp it is. Right. Sharp tongues do not require you to hit me and exactly. give you the right to hit me on either end. Right. I said, you know, nobody, no man has ever hit me but my daddy. And he, he stopped doing that when I was 12, okay? Because I stopped talking to him for six weeks. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, this one particular night, well, I better back up again, sorry. <laughs> I, I got tired of the abuse and him cheating and running the streets and staying out on So I got me a little boy toy on the side. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Boy that toy. Before cougars were in style. Well, let me say this. I believe that cougars have always been in style because uh, my Shiro, mm-hmm. um, Harriet Tugman, when Harriet Tugman retired from going to retrieve the slaves, she got married, remarried, and her husband was 22 years younger than her. Whoa. She's my Shiro. All right now. All right. <laughs> Well, I had met this young man and took a liking to him. He's 14 years my junior. And no matter what I did, I got pregnant. I used protection, but Uh-oh. I got pregnant. So you got pregnant by the sad piece? Yes. Oh, this is good story. This is and, good. Yeah, and I, I didn't find out I was pregnant until I was 22 weeks. Wow. And at that time, it was too late. Yeah, you couldn't do that. Yeah, you couldn't terminate no pregnancy then. Twenty two weeks, you having a baby. Right. So I hid it as long as I could, and because he and I hadn't had sex in a year, I was just revolted by him. And but you were still living there. Uh huh. Yeah. So one day, uh, his sister had called and said, "I don't care. I don't care what you say. Need a pregnant. Her nose is spread all over her face and what." <laughs> What's my nose got to do with it? But that do, that do tell. Yeah, yeah. I, you know I found that. that out. You know that tells. <laughs> so uh, he just busted the bathroom on me and said, that said you pregnant, so and so. I said, okay, yes, I am. You know, and I, <laughs> you know, I flinched back. You was ready. He said, I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to hit you. I said, okay. So then later on, he came in, and he started hitting me. He took a shoe grabbed it in the toe, one of his shoes, a loaf, and started beating me with the heel of it. Ooh. And I'm on the floor, balled up, covering my head and all of that. So I had bruises all up and down my arm and my fingers. And uh, then he got tired with the, the shoe. I guess he had to bend over too much because he was a big guy. And he grabbed an umbrella, and he beat me with it until he broke the handle off. Mm. And then he told me to go in the basement. He was going to finish me off. And like Tish said, this time was different. So I went down in the basement. I called 911, told him the whole thing really fast in one breath. You know, that he found out I was pregnant by another man because I told him I was pregnant by another man. And then he had told me to go in the basement. He was going to finish me off. And I had grabbed a hammer. I said, somebody going to be dead if y'all don't get here quick. Police got there. I ran outside, ran past them, and ran into the police car. They arrested him because he was at the door with the broken umbrella, wouldn't put it down until, you know, they started to pull their guns out, and they arrested him. Well, that's not the night that was really bad. After a year, because I wasn't sure whether it was his baby or the side piece baby because the timing was so close. And his mother had come to the hospital and said, oh, that's your baby. You know, his sister just said, and don't oh, grandpa- And don't grandparents always do that? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, that either is our baby or it's not our baby. Mm-hmm. The grandparent will let you know, mm-mm, that's not ours. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah. So he took care of the baby. I mean, he fed him his first bottle, went with the nurse to weigh him. He wasn't letting that baby out of his sight. After about a year, um, one night, he was out of drugs, was no drugs in Lansing to be sold, and so he didn't have money coming in, and that's what pissed him off. As long as he doesn't have something flowing in, everything's going out, he's mad. So he was supposed to go down to Detroit to buy some drugs, and I was changing the baby's diaper. He was in the basement. And when he was in the basement, he didn't want the overhead lights on because it would glare in the TV. So he would turn those off. So when he was coming upstairs, he's like, Neat, turn the light on. I said, okay, just a minute, I'm changing the baby's diaper. Turn that, and he started yelling and screaming and cussing me out, about do what he said now, blah, blah, blah. Well, by this time, I forgot, he found out that it wasn't his child. Uh-oh. Yeah. We had a DNA test and everything. He knew this wasn't his child, but at first, he said, you know, you got to leave in two weeks. I was relieved, ready to go. He stayed away for two days and came back and said, 
everybody I talked to convinced me I'm wrong. That you love me, I love you, the baby looks like me, we're going to be together, we get married, I'm going to establish paternity for the baby, adopt him, all of that. So fine. That was like three months before this terrible night. So I said, I'm changing a messy diaper. Just a minute, just a minute. He's screaming and howling. So I rush through the diaper change, go turn the light on. He comes upstairs with his little plate and his glass and whatnot, chucks it into the sink, snatches me up in my collar, pushes me in the wall, punches me, just another beat down. As I'm laying on the floor trying to get myself together, he's going back to his bedroom. He says, you know, when I get up, I want some dinner. As he's going to the bedroom, the baby is coming out the bedroom. He's 13 months at this time. And he shoves the baby aside. Now, normally, if you shove somebody aside, it's not going to be too bad. But this is a 13-month-old baby. And he's in the hallway, so it's close. The baby runs into the wall. I leap to my feet, go to my baby, check him for injury. I said, what the hell's wrong with you? He just throws his hand over his shoulder like, so what? I said, you don't treat the baby like this. Well, he didn't do anything to you. What are you doing? So I'm checking my baby for injury and everything because if I find anything, he going to jail tonight and for a good long time. You know, I'm going to follow up with the prosecutor all the other times that I sit in the jail, which was about 12. Wow. Yeah. I never saw the inside of a courtroom. They just released him on bond. Nobody ever called me to follow up. Nothing. Wow. So this is my history with them. This is my understanding of how they treat this situation. And domestic violence wasn't even a real term back then. This was 93. So as I'm checking the baby, he's yelling out, I do whatever the F I want to do in this house to anybody, and anybody don't like that. It's too damn bad, and blah, 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 blah. And when I get up, my dinner better be ready. I'm going to beat your ass again. Mm -mm. Well, I was just laying the baby down and giving him a bottle. When he said that, I looked over to the kitchen because there's like a, a service hole in the living room to the kitchen. And before my eyes focused on the pot, they focused on that gun that was on the ledge. Something inside me just yelled, no! And I grabbed the gun, walked back to the bedroom, shot him in the back of the head. He sat up and said, Nate, Nate! I'm like, what? Because I was leaving out of the room. I turn around and he's saying something to me I can't even remember and I, I'm pointing at him with the same hand that I got the gun in. And as I'm talking to him and saying whatever it was I said, that's when I must have shot him the second and third time. And he just said, all right, baby, all right, and just laid down. He didn't fall down or plop down or jerk or anything. He just laid on down. So I turned around and I'm thinking to myself, let me make sure I put this gun right back where it belongs because he's such a stickler about put everything back in this place. So I'm checking my baby. I'm rocking him, thinking about what I'm going to say to him when he wakes up. Because we can't have this. You can't put your hands on the baby. You know, you're going to stop putting your hands on me. But that I could deal with, but not the baby. Mm. So once I got my little spiel together, and, and I don't even know how long I was sitting there, an hour or two, I have no idea. Could have been 10 minutes. I really don't know. I have no recollection of time. So when I went back to wake him up, he didn't wake up. And he had, he told me he was a Vietnam veteran, but his all his family said that was a lie. But he used to jump out the bed when he hear helicopters and all kind of stuff. So I was kind of leery about touching him, you know, to wake him up because I didn't want him to, to hit me. Startle. Mm -hmm. But when I touched him, he was stiff, and I didn't understand. So when I looked closer, I saw this dark darkness on the pillowcase behind him. It was a red pillowcase, but that was blood. And I realized then that I had killed him. I went into another state of mind I've never been in in my life. What am I going to do? What have I done? Oh, my God. I thought about killing myself. Mm. You know, I said, but, but you then had a 13-month-old baby there. Exactly. And mm -hmm. That's what stopped me. I said, what would my baby do? I, I sure can't kill him. He, he had nothing to do with it, you know, because some folks kill up everybody in the house, you know, but I, I couldn't dream of doing something like that. So I called 911, and when they answered the phone, 
the words just wouldn't come out my mouth. I said, I'm sorry, operator. I called the wrong number on speed dial on my phone. So I hung up. And then I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You got to call the police. You know, you, you can't. So I called them again. And right before they answered, I guess, I hung up. I'm going crazy. I don't know what I'm going to do. Ultimately, I got the bright idea to call this friend of my sister's to have her help me carry his body to Detroit and say that he went to buy drugs and, you know, possibly a drug deal gone bad. They found his body. So that's what we did, and I moved his body to Detroit and put it in a vacant lot under a pile of tires and just waited for the fallout. People were calling. I'm saying, he's not home, he's not home. And other people knew that he was supposed to go to Detroit to buy drugs. But nobody ever saw him after that. Now, a couple of people told me that they saw him after I know they couldn't have seen him. They couldn't have seen him, but they, uh-huh. But these are people that had known him for years, decades, and said it was definitely him and a young guy driving his car. And both people had the same story. Wow. This young boy was driving his car. So about 30 days later, the girl that helped me move the body, I don't know, she thought I was going to get some money or something, and she had something coming. Um, she had her husband call the police and tell them where they could find a body. And his sister had already filed a missing persons report, so they called me at work, told me they thought they had his body down there. I said, well, why don't you check his fingerprints? He'd been arrested before. You ought to know if it's him or not. And they got to talking about his toenails were painted with clear polish. And I said, oh, well, that's not him. You know, I figured they got the wrong body. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what they was talking about. So I went down, and they questioned me. And the lieutenant wanted me to be locked up because the family was convinced that I did it. Because they knew he used to beat me. Okay. And they even played it up even more. Oh, he beat her for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Well, it wasn't like that. He would hit me, like, now and... It might be six months later, or two months later, or two weeks later, or whatever. But when he was good to me, he was really, really good to me. You know, if he was beating me every day, that's a no-brainer. I'm, I'm out. I didn't sign up for this. But he, when he treated me so good, I weighed the good against the bad. And, and the good outweighed, outweighed. outweighed the bad. Yeah. So um, I went on and... You know, the investigation went on. They kind of put it in the back drawer, I guess. He's saying drug deal gone bad because he did have a record mm -hmm. selling drugs. They knew. They were very well aware. And a co-worker of mine, oh, God, I don't have much time. Do mm -mm, you don't. <laughs> but, okay, I got saved four months later, lived a life according to God, learned to become a good Christian, Four years later, the lady that helped me got into some trouble with the police as she told them she knew something about a murder to buy her way out of it, and it did. They came and arrested me. I went to court. I had a terrible attorney. He convinced me to plead guilty to second-degree murder, and I got sentenced to 17 to 50 years, and I served almost 15 you got set okay wait a minute <laughs> i know Hold on, that, that, no, that just took my breath away you got sentenced to 17 to 50 yes ma'am and you served almost 15 right 14 years nine months seven days and 18 hours oh okay so i don't have much time either i got four minutes so in four minutes what would you say to someone who is currently sitting in a situation that they're getting beat? First of all, I wish I had heard it. I heard uh, Rabbi Shmui say it on Oprah. The first time he hits you, you're a victim. Every time after that, you're a volunteer. Ooh! Ooh, that just sent chills right down my, my spine. He said, I gotta say that again. I'm gonna put that on, that's a tweetable. That should be on Instagram. The yeah. first time anyone hits you, you're a victim. Right. Anytime after that, you're a volunteer. Right. Because you have made the choice to stay. I've heard in the domestic violence circles that one time is a mistake, two times is a pattern. Mm -hmm. If he hits you or she hits you twice, 
it's going to be a third time. It's going to be a fourth time. It's going to be a fifth time. So you don't have to hit me at all to let me know that you're capable of hitting me. Right. I just always say I don't want to be with someone that riles me up so much that I want to hit them mm-hmm. or I rile them so much that they want to hit me. Mm-hmm. If hitting is the option, you're not the person for me. I don't, you know, I don't, you're going to have disagreements. Yeah. You're going to have where you don't see things the same way, mm-hmm. but you should not be controlled. You should not be uh, hit, bit, spit on anything that's not honoring you mm-hmm. as a person. So just like I tell women, um, you don't want to be hit. But let me say to some of y'all women out there that's busy hitting, mm-hmm. if you hit somebody, they have a right to hit you back. Exactly. So I don't say that, you know, a man should, yeah, men should not hit women, but they're women that's busy hitting them. Mm-hmm. But a woman can be restrained. They can be restrained, but some women can't. This is true. Now, that's just true. That some women can't. I'm just saying. And it depends on that particular person and, the, uh, you know, the male and the female or whomever. You know, because we do have LGBTQ mm-hmm. and they have the same issues. So I don't want to make it seem like it's just a heterosexual right. man, female. It's not. There are two men who there may be a domestic violence situation and there's two women who it may be a domestic violence situation. What I'm saying is that you don't deserve to be hit. Exactly. And I will say this before we leave. I was asked by a counselor because I took a lot of counseling <clears throat> and a lot of training in this field and founded a nonprofit called Beware, Better yes. Women's Awareness Reaching Everyone. And I was asked by a counselor, what is the one thing that you pulled out of all of this tragedy and all the counseling and that you did? And I said, I discovered my worth. Mm. She is the discovered important. her worth. Yes. You cannot put yourself on the sale or the clearance rack. You got to be top shelf, and a brother got to be top shelf in order to reach up there to get you. Ooh. Do not accept less than what you deserve, and know that you deserve the best because you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Well, with that, that's how we close in the show today. We're speaking life to you. That's what we do here every single week on this podcast because, you know, the word tells us that life and death are in the power of your own tongue. What would you say if everything you said happened? Make sure you're saying something life-affirming, life-giving, joy-filled. And we'll be back with you. Thank you, Miss Posey. We'll be back next week with more Speaking Life with Dr. Sabrina. Have a great week. <laughs>